0: Hello and welcome to the program. Today we are going to be speaking with David Massingill, whose songs have been covered and recorded by Joan Baez, The Roaches, Lucy Kaplansky, Tom Russell, Nancy Griffith, and David's Mentor, Dave Van Ronk, and it was Dave Van Ronk that said that David took the dough out of dulcimer. He makes the dulcimer his instrument of choice. We're going to be talking with David about all of these things during the upcoming interview. He has six albums out, 11 of them bootlegs, and 14 books to date. And that includes Partners in Crime, the albums, that is. And this was the debut album of the Folk Brothers, David's project with Jack Hardy. So let's start it off with a tune from his album, Twilight, the Taj Mahal. Here's David Massingill with The Fugitive. My name's Audie Martello, and welcome to Mostly Folk.
1: I remember the fugitive By the woods where I lived I was standing on a limb When I called down to him He was hungry, I could see As he climbed up next to me He reached above my head Plucked an apple instead is listen, good kid I escaped the prison bomb But I mean, you know, harm If you'll come along with me For as far as the county line You need a wall of spine I can hotwire any car I can race a shooting star But I need your father's clothes And a boy who knows the roads For as far With my daddy's Sunday suit and a pair of cowboy boots, we made a clean getaway in my neighbor's Chevrolet. Oh, we lit out recklessly, and every turn was destiny. With the police at our back, racing for the railroad track between a rock and a wreck. Oh, the train was coming fast, but the fugitive just laughed. Saying, kid, you won't feel cool the thing It's my chance to split the rail Between heaven
2: and hell You put the Chevy to
1: the floor Couldn't watch it anymore With the batting of an eye Somehow we whistled by Then he turned on the radio His
3: name was in
1: the news I was hanging, it had gone smooth and As I looked at him His neck began to bend and Then I heard a snap As he fell into my lap. His eyes rolled up white And the innocence of you Made me scream against the truth For the truth shall said it the leap of the road with no slip out of hope I was gasping for air but the fugitive just stayed and the radio said my name how I ran in.
0: the title track from my home must be a special place that was david massingill who i recently spoke with and asked him what people should know about david massingill
4: well i think uh, a good thing to know is uh I, as you just played my home must be a special place that that was a uh, really a reflection of the song that reflected the way i felt about my, the way i was raised with my Mom and Dad—they made us feel safe. They were both, uh, in a way, big influences on my artistic life. My my dad was uh, very musical, and he told stories, family stories. I was always interested in. My mom was very visual. She was an artist and uh, taught me to uh, little tricks on drawing and making pictures. And uh, uh, and they both were huge influences on me. And they made us feel good. I grew up in. Tennessee, Bristol, Tennessee, that's the northeast tip, right there on the state line of Virginia and Tennessee. So as things were changing, a lot of schools back then were still um, segregated. We had separate black schools in Bristol, but it changed during my time, and I was there to see it and the transition and how how people encouraged it and how people were worried about it and how people accepted it. Um, later on, I went wanted to go to school where my dad went, which was the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and I managed to go there. and uh, And I worked in the middle of school, 1972. I went off to work for George McGovern for his campaign. Uh, I've, I've been admiring his. Words in service to our country ever since. I admire artists all, and uh, who work in a way. He was an artist because he expressed for me the way I felt about the way the world should be, um, and an artist does that. Right. And sometimes we're rare. A, a politician does it too, and we were lucky to have somebody. Uh, he was another. He was a potential Lincoln uh, that. Uh, only got about 39% of the vote, but Abraham Lincoln only got 39%
5: of the vote. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah.
4: So I have, I I admire artists, and I was lucky enough to come up to New York when there was a sort of a revival going, um, and there was the ringleader, I guess you would call him, uh, the pot stirrer, was Jack Hardy. Mm
5: -hmm. He
4: became a good friend and uh, took me um, under his wing. He had me open for his opening act uh, when when we played Folk City that was my first show uh, I did a 20 minute show and then Tom and Tondi did a 40 minute show and then Jack would do an hour show and so he convinced Mike Porco that I I needed to be um, introduced to the folk world
1: Once I and, train. and my brother did same They split us up in misery James was five and I was three He got taken by some pair But for me they did not care We were brave and did not cry When they made us say goodbye That was the last I saw of him Before some family took me in But I swore I'd run away And find my brother went back When I was grown To see how old The children's home And I asked For to see my file Of when I was An orphan child It's sad they say There's been a flood Fire washed away Sometimes life is a stone wall You either climb or else you fall In every town, on every street All the faces that I meet And I wonder, could one be My brother James Bye. I rode an orphan train, and my brother did the same. They slid us up in Missouri.
6: traffic at stop and go speed i like to entertain myself with all of the bumper stickers i can read humor's hidden wealth there's Nuke the gay whales and world peas but by far the one most clever gave no name laid no blame just said the worst president ever Well, black is white and white is black. There's yellow cake in Iraq. Weapons of mass destruction, reconstruction still on track. When the Wall Street Journal and Fox News endorse our president for life forever, their polls will attest he's still the best, worst president ever. The worst president ever. The worst president ever don't forget you your bumbling, bumbling fools you're the, the ones that pulled the lever if you just can't wait to 2008, 2008 to say no nay never it ain't, ain't a reach we could still impeach the worst president ever well he sold our soul to the corporate goal the Enron hangover still hurts. It'll take years to calm our fears from color code alerts. If we ever survive his supreme court there's a few things we'll have to sever like church and state and the fourth estate and the worst president ever. Well, Wolfowitz, Rumsfeld, Carl Rove, Scooter, Lippy, and all their kind. Rats leaving a sinking ship, guess who's left behind? Maybe there's space in the Star Wars race, or a spot on the Space Shuttle Endeavor. To the moon, None too soon for the worst president ever. The worst president ever. The worst president ever. Don't forget your bumbling bumbling fools were We're the ones that pulled the lever. If we We just just can't wait to 2008 to say no, nay, nay, never, it ain't a reach, we could still impeach the worst president ever. Well, you can dress him up in a cowboy hat or a monkey suit in style can try to hide his blue blood and the best and money can buy he can rig all of the voting machines and the voter list counterfeit when all the while he's just a pile of the worst president ever Well, there's 9-11 and Abu Ghraib and torture at the CIA. But he gets his interns from Bible College, they never even heard of a BJ. But there's plenty left to investigate, if only the Congress had balls. But we're out of time, and I'm out of rhymes for the worst president ever. The worst worst president president ever the worst president ever don't forget you bumbling fools were the ones that pulled the lever if we just can't wait to 2008 to say no nay never it ain't a reach we could still impeach the worst president ever
0: David Massingill, along with Jack Hardy as the Folk Brothers, and that came from their album Partners in Crime. We just heard the worst president ever, and Ryder on an Often Train opened up that two-song set. Now, don't forget, if you want to get... All of the names of all of the songs we've played on this program today, because some of them I might not be mentioning, you can go to MostlyFolk.org and the episode information for this episode with David Massingill will be right there. Just click on the box and you've got it. David spoke a little bit about his feelings toward the devices that everyone seems to be using these days. And here's what he had to say. I
7: see them as an impediment
4: to uh, creativity. and I, I see you. them as an impediment to daydreaming. And so much of, I think, an artist's life is... Uh, just daydreaming, and I can tell you, I, I see, I look at the world, and I'm, I'm in a different world. I'm in New, New York City. York. I go on the subway, and I'll, uh, I'll be just sort of sitting in there, wandering around in my mind, just daydreaming. And I look up, and I see that nine. Out of ten people are looking down at this device in their isn't it, hands.
7: Isn't it amazing? Uh,
4: going around, going around, going around, go around, and I'm going, what? Uh, well, how come they're not daydreaming? And they're instead yeah. they're intently, uh, you know. G- playing badminton with these devices, uh, smartphones, these whatever they are, they are where they are. I have to tour so I get a little track phone just so I can tell people where I am if I'm in Mm. uh, in a delay, but that's what I do. That's it. That's my only thing. I walk down the street in New York and I see at least Half the people, as they walk, are engaging in some sort of intense conversation with someone. Sometimes they have an earplug. Sometimes they have it somehow in their ear. I don't know. All I know is that people are not daydreaming as they're walking. Now, yeah. you, know, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to the traffic uh, stops and so forth. But <laughs> it's just something about that we're we're rewiring our minds in a way that I don't like and I don't want to participate in. I think yeah. it's, uh, it, it blocks my creativity. It blocks my uh, – a lot of time when you're walking, you get in doing a little exercise, so you get this sort of euphoria. I forget what they call those things. They're supposed to make you feel good uh, as you exercise sometimes. Um,
8: oh, um, but I mean endorphins. Right? endorphins, right the yeah.
4: endorphins that's when you're when you're walking and you're uh, imagining things and you're uh, it's just a uh, you're in this w- another world and it, that doesn't happen if you're intently tra- taking care of business so
7: I, yeah. I, I
4: ever since the industrial revolution people have been trying to convince the general population that it's good to to just constantly be working toward goal for so many pellets of this, so many of this and this and this, when actually our brains and our pleasures are wired to just go find a creek somewhere and go fishing for an afternoon.
7: Mm. And
4: that's what we're wired to do, but instead we've been convinced that we've got to uh put our uh, shoulders to the grindstone and push and push. I could never be an artist if I was a pusher. Um, Mm. I'm a a daydreamer. And once I dream a dream, I find it so exciting sometimes that I feel like I have to make this permanent. So that's when I sit down and I do a drawing or I write a a line and then I take that line and I expand it to a song and... um, that's, what, that's how I make uh, my way as an artist, and um, I can't do it any other way. I, I see the trappings of this, uh, of this world where everything is um, on an app. <laughs> she
1: walks through the door Weary she sighs like the setting sun Then she flops to the floor let the chore be left undone
2: now's the time
1: to unbend and practice her mantra Another diet blown, mother's fudge cures anxiety. Like when girlfriends die, it takes the sting out of teen
0: romance.
1: Did the gods chew your funny bone? Did you wear a disguise? Are the tigers still in your... Broken word can capture her until the first snow marking it down in her calendar makes it hard to say no In the crime that will spirit her far away from it all into the twilight.
4: Uh, yeah. They brought, When they brought them, those dulcimers, my mom wanted the best, and they said, the woman there, Mrs. Gordon, said, well, they make the best over in Asheville, I believe Ethel Martin does, I'll special order. So he came over with all the dulcimers, Mrs. Gordon, took four hours from Asheville at that time, and he didn't want to go back, so she said, well, why don't you stay for a few days and said, whittle in the window, bring in. You can bring in a business, so he said, "All right, he's a mountain man, so he said, "All right, and he told me, "You know people looking at me whittle like that in the window, made me feel like I had to smile and
7: then he <laughs> said,
4: smile smiling's hard work. I had to quit that job."
7: <laughs> so
4: I, I look at the the new machineries that we're uh, we're you know going back and forth with, and so many hours of this day with them. I look at I have to quit that job. I just have to quit that job. Smiling's hard work. So is working on these uh, uh, these machines that we uh, that are our best friends, our
7: new best mm-hmm. friends.
1: In the mountains of the Appalachia There lived a whittling boy He was born among the Cherokee He gave the people joy He gave the people joy His daddy taught him all he knew about the mountain life He taught him how to play banjo And whittle with a knife And whittle with a knife
3: All the birds and creatures
1: of the woods Were whittled by the boy. And he whittled them so perfectly, they called him Whittling Boy. They called him Whittling Boy. He whittled in the sacredness of every living thing. He could whittle up a miracle
3: when winter turns to.
1: When winter turns to spring In the year what folks call the big freeze, a stranger came to call He stood there cold and shivering Boy brought him into thaw Boy brought him into thaw the oh, strangers kin was all snowed in or said he'd see to it He whittled up a couple of birds
3: to fly them in lickety
1: splits To fly them lickety splits When they flew in Half-froze and starved boy gave what food He had He whittled Them some nice warm Clothes, a dulcimer And a doodad A dulcimer And a doodad Before the whittling Boy was through He carved a mask. Peace, A
2: cornucopia
1: that's filled a never ending feast a never ending feast Sometimes life can be cold and cruel but faith is what I found Thanks to the blade of Whitlin Boy, the world The
8: world will come around. Let's review some things for the people listening. And that is, number one, your early career. When you first came up here to New York from Tennessee. Tell me about that, the experience for you.
4: That was, uh, like a lot of young people, I was convinced that uh, this idea of uh, being an artist and singing songs in Greenwich Village was uh, a reasonable uh, aspiration. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh,
0: But I didn't have really
4: much. Uh, I just had started writing songs. As a matter of fact, I had written all through college, and I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and they had a really good writing program there. I even went over to Duke and took a course with the Reynolds Price on writing, Um, you know they had a beautiful all these teachers they had a really well uh, researched and uh, excellent poets and writers in that creative writing department in North Carolina and so every semester I'd take a I'd take a, a writing course, either poetry or prose writing or playwriting. Every semester I had something. You you know, you could do one and two, and then you'd go on, and then I'd do the next one. And I even got to go over to Duke and uh, do the thing, the thing with the Reynolds Price. I think I was the only one uh, they let do that. They forgot um, they had the same program in North Carolina, so they said, nope. Uh, and so I got this idea, I, the last part of college, uh, I took a course, Reynolds, uh, let's see, it was Forrest reed the wild man of the English department. Uh, I took Shakespeare under him, I took uh, 20th century poets, I took... Uh, Uh, all kinds of courses. I loved his courses, a course just on Ezra Pound. Um, Well, this course was Songs Through the Ages, and I took it my last semester. I was at Carolina. It did me more good in my writing than any other thing, which is because we examined songs through the ages and all the rhyme schemes, the different types of songs, the elegies, the sonnets, the pastorals. And it went all these different rhyme schemes, and I was for the first time in my life, I was seeing the the necessity and the the rightness and how it propels a story forward in having rhymes and different rhyme schemes and I started to quickly, i had just gotten my dulcimer and I had uh started to uh, teach myself and learning the who learning the um, Brahms learning the Beatles all kinds of things you 'd learn on the dulcimer very simple. But uh, I started to write little tunes while I was in college. I wrote five tunes before I decided I would go up to New York and be uh, discovered. Mm -hmm.
7: That was
4: a very important time. And those five songs, uh, one of them, occasionally I will sing late in a set. It's called. We we put it in the fast folk record as the Eunuch's Lament. We had prettied up the original title, because I don't know why we decided. We just decided to make it, and we called it the eunuch's lament. But actually, the original <laughs> title is, it's called Ballad of a B- Pissed-Off Eunuch.
7: And uh, it was a
4: huge, a big song for me when I came up to New York. I would play it at the hoots, and people would know me. <laughs> It got yeah, me yeah. attention. <laughs> if I didn't have that uh, infantile sort of song, but it had a lot of "Hey Nanny Nannies, Hi Nanny Nannies" in it yeah. because I was taking that course in pastoral and uh, songs through the ages with Forrest Reed. and so I was being influenced by that. But it's a funny sort of song. Jack Hardy, uh, when we were uh, Jack made it, when we were a duo late uh, uh, about five years ago. Uh, he uh, he insisted I bring that song back. But everybody knew me by that song, and so that was a song that encouraged me to actually continue for nine months in the hoot before I finally got a re- regular job.
3: I am more eunuch, brave and true. I am more eunuch, through and through with hate. Nanny, 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 hi, nanny, boo. Oh, in this life I've had no fun, I've had no gun to bang the bonds with hate. A toot-a shoot-a high, a dangler banger. Hey, toot-a! I bangaroo. Oh, I have no ding to dong the queen. I have no use for the latrine with a hey. zipper. zip a dee A zap-a-dapper, is move. I never do. I'm a lover, I am a flop. I've never heard a cherry pop with a hey. A piggy is cooiler high. A panny is cooacher hey piggy. I squatteroo. Oh, the queen is hot, but I am not. For long ago my wand was shot with a hey. Blipper nipper high. Blipper whammer hey blipper. I woo Clocks go tick, the bells go bong I'd get my arm for an eight-inch wong With a head on a bomber. I will not want a banger, hey, wonger I beg a rule. No. I am a sexless shepherd bred I'll never prod where others tread With a head, a goose, a moochie I can to measure he hey, goose I'll a, a her Italy. We'll never peel their bush from me When the hay, a beaver, bash you high A fuming poach of hay, beaver, I poach of oh, hay Take it away, eunuchs And not only that, I've got no balls to beat the bat with, hey, stupid doodle, I, bladder baggers, hey, a strudel, I beg My nose blows like an elephant's snout, holy only it were my trouser trouser with, hey, a weener peeler, I, tater nailer, hey, wiener, I nail a The dames go chat. I cannot wipe their welcome mats with a squeezer, kneezer. Use your imagination here. Hey,
5: whoa.
3: John DeLinger had a 12 inch brick. It's fellas like him who make me sick with a super drooper. I party pooper, Hey, super. I drooper do. Well, the time has bid good riddance till the eunuch makes his next appearance with a hey, fuck you I, fuck you, and I mean that with all my heart on fuck you in your big wazoo
4: When I first came up to New York from college, uh, I just went to the hoop. I had very little uh, playing, you know, uh, uh, experience um, with the dulcimer. I just learned, and uh, here I was. I'd really never sung before, but yeah, here I was. I had this eunuch song that people seemed to laugh at and find amusing. <laughs> They'd, uh, later on, I dropped it because political correctness was a little bit uh, tough. But when mm-hmm. Jack and I were uh, the folk brothers,
7: mm-hmm. uh,
4: we started to do a few gigs, and we did a thing at uh, uh, Fox Valley. And Jack said, we were at a funny song uh, workshop. And Jack said, we've got to do the pissed-off eunuch. I said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and so I went to the, you know, at, at Fox, at uh, Falcon Ridge, they have signers on the main stage. So um, And so I went to the sign. He's kind he's that guy with the big white beard. He looks kind of like Santa Claus. Um I took it to him, and I showed him the lyrics, and I just gave him forewarning that he had a big job ahead of him for this pissed-off unit, and there was maybe 300 people on the hillside, and all of a sudden, they got it, and they're watching the guy try to sign all these things, hey, Ninny hey, flipper-dipper, hi, flapper-dapper, all these different, every chorus was different. So it was <laughs> uh, it was relentless, and it was just charged forth. I think it was 14, 15 verses, and it, and it takes three minutes to do it. And they were watching him, so in this particular case, he enhanced the performance of that song. And the hilarity and the, uh, just uh, the absurdity of the song
7: was enhanced
4: by the, uh, the signer trying <laughs> That's to do the, that. I'll that is never funny. forget that. But Jack told me, Dave, this is poetry. So Jack Hardy's idea was that it was poetry. I should also mention Jack. If it hadn't been for Jack, he pushed me to be opening acts. He pushed me to get my first gigs. It was a, he was a very important person for me. To uh, uh, try to fulfill my uh, dream of being a, um, you know, an artist, a performing artist, and he helped me in many ways, and I learned a lot from him. He he used to sing with his brothers, so he knew harmony. So when we did the uh, the, the duo, uh, it was very uh, a lot of work for me to learn how to do the harmonies. But he he was a good and patient teacher.
8: Um, well, he we taught also, you well. And, uh,
4: when he when he passed away a bunch of because he had started so many ideas the fast folk records and they did about 99 of them and we donated them to the smithsonian uh folklore um uh, folkways uh collection and so you can get all those songs and that particular song actually was put on a funny song cd because it was all compilation records and so that was one of many and peter tork of the monkeys happened to be mm-hmm. in Mark Dan's home uh, attic studio and we used to do all the things there you get two passes to do a song and he happened to hear me warming up and he said you know I could add banter to that if you like and I said excellent and so <laughs> I have Peter Tork and Jack Hardy actually as my backup band on the what we called the Unix Lament um
7: <laughs> and so
4: that's part of my uh-huh. Alexa, that's part of my uh-huh. lexicon out there
8: that's um, amazing. But right. uh, yeah. when
4: Jack passed away, I would like to mention Jack when he passed away, Mark Dan said let's um do another fast folk record and all these people pitched in, Suzanne Vega, uh, uh all kinds of people uh, uh that play with Jack and were helped by Jack John Gorka, Lucy Kaplansky, uh just everybody from the old uh, thing, Nancy Griffiths, all kinds of, uh, Richard, uh, it's just all Schindel. kinds of people, Shindell and uh, a couple other Richards, I don't know, uh, just fabulous people. And so we ended up doing 24 tracks. It's a two-CD wow. on-demand tribute to Jack Hardy.
1: took a tree into the town to see if it would grow Not knowing I was affixed to the fate of the seed I'd sown My roots are solid underground, fed by the warm spring rain Where thunders fierce and fickle winds find compromise insane I seek refuge in this tree of rhyme Into its arms I climb Frightened by the terror of the scythe There will be peace with the wind and rain The roundness of the earth and flame This tree is more constant than I This tree is more constant than I My tree has flourished the same as I Though invisible at times Beneath the rubble, vacant eyes The seed divides and climbs As if part of a forgotten age When business was a vice And virtue was merely picking fruit In some patient paradise I seek refuge in this tree of rhyme Into its arms I climb Frightened by the terror of the scythe There will be peace With the wind and rain The roundness of the earth and flame This tree is more constant than I This tree is more constant than I I pity those without a tree As birth has do no one For bricks are merely mud and straw Canals are just rivers one for nature schemes And cracks and seams Waiting for a time To bloom Even down in that soot Great town in some Forgotten room I seek refuge in this Tree of rhyme Into its arms I climb Frightened by the terror Of the scythe There will be with the wind and rain, the roundness of the earth and flame, this tree is more constant than I. This tree is more constant than
8: I. One question I wanted to ask you before we move on why the dulcimer? Why did you first pick up the dulcimer?
4: Well, my mom uh, had gone into I had gone to a summer camp in North Carolina. Uh, let's see, uh, Camp uh, Sequoia. Camp Sequoia. It's a, it was a place, I think, Weavertown Town or something near Asheville. Um, great. Uh, and they had a week out at a ski at a water camp or a lake camp where you go just canoeing or skiing or just water things and part of the regular camp was doing a week somewhere else and uh there was a one of the counselors there had a dulcimer and you could play it right away you could just play the melody on one string da, 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 da. and i was i came home and i have casually mentioned that i played the dulcimer and learned how to play all these things i had been in the band so i knew how to read music i had been taking piano lessons so i knew a little bit about music uh just because of my lessons and here was this stringed instrument and I had when when I was be in other camps, there'd be these counselors would get up and they'd play sing uh, they call the wind Mariah or all these other five hundred miles they'd do all this whole folk thing, and they'd have a bass and they'd have a they'd have these harmonies and it was like pretty cool i thought and when i when uh, I played that dulcimer, it occurred to me. Um, it, it was so simple. I said, "Gee, I can play this right away." So when my mom heard me say that, she decided she'd get a dulcimer for and said, "And she said, whoever learns to play can have it." But she was one of those mothers that decided she wanted, she, if she was going to get a dulcimer for her children, she wanted the best. And uh, Mrs. Gordon sold her that dulcimer, and she's the one. Her daughter told me this story. She saw me at, at a, a club in, in Johnson City nearby Bristol when I would go home during the uh, winter times, uh, Christmas and so forth. She said, my mom sold that dulcimer to your, to your mom and told me the story about how my and my mom had passed away already. But she, uh, my mom had gone in and said, I want to get a dulcimer for my children. I want the best. And they had a few handy dulcimers there, but she didn't sell the ones that were there. She said, well, I hear the best are made by Edsel Martin over in uh, Old Ford or in uh, near Asheville. I'll see if the guild there can get some. And that's how my life changed because Edsel himself, who didn't have a phone, he was a mountain man, uh, he brought them over, he brought over a batch of them, and my mom had the choice, the first choice. So Mrs. Gordon called, we have the Epsil Martin Dulcimers and so come over here and choose one before I put them out. So my mom, she chose the only three-stringed one among them. All the rest were doubles melody strings, which would have made it difficult for my style of playing later on. But she particularly liked the carving in the head of, the, of this particular adult. It was a woman singing, like she's or she could be yelling or she could be yawning. But anyway, I think she's singing. And uh, it's quite it's, if Michelangelo had been a whittler, he might have he might have been able to do this, the equal of this whittler. Uh Edsel would do hound dogs, flowers, birds, all sorts, and women singing, mountain people. Uh, he used to also whittle things that were, like a a preacher, he had a preacher preaching, and in his back (laughs) pocket you see a little whiskey bottle, uh, and he'd be at the pulpit, so that was one of his, and he also did a washerwoman, he did all sorts of things, and he was quite uh, a funny uh, person to to hear stories from, and uh, I took a great delight in knowing him, and visiting him many times, getting some of his birds, he would do with Did he
8: have any influence on your storytelling abilities?
7: I think
4: so. His uh, I would see whenever he would tell a story, he'd always have a a real tag thing. You know, he would like be a real. Like when he said, "I had to quit that job." Uh, when he was saying, "People looking at me made me feel like I had to smile. Smiling's hard work. I had to quit that job." So uh, th- those sort of uh, the ends of these little stories was very influential on me, I, and I really enjoyed. He was a member of. He considered himself the loafingest man in Western North Carolina, and I could see just like we're talking about all these devices that won't let us loaf. Well, uh, I believe believe in loafing I believe that our best comes out when we're loafing and daydreaming and just uh, just loafing along uh, something comes to you um, when that's happening you're relaxed and you, you're able to receive uh, the, uh, the best impulses of your, of your, of your daydreaming mind
1: girl The girl that my father married. From the first time he saw her, so pretty it made him weak-kneed. At the GI canteen, they danced danced to a tune by Fats Waller. They danced once. They danced. They danced till he spent his last dollar. He was stationed in Lincoln as part of the Army Air Corps. He joined like his friends did, Now they all did their part for the war. They parted, though she thought he would ask her to marry. She stayed in Nebraska. He went back to East Tennessee. So she wrote him a letter, Tulsi. Now she's coming to Roanoke on a school trip, and by the way John James asked her to marry. She hadn't said yes, she hadn't said no,
3: last chance
1: if he had something to say. And she sent her train schedule,
3: underlining the time.
1: The girl from the Nebraska looked out the window of the train. As it entered the station, she saw him there calling her name. And he held in one hand a bouquet of beautiful flowers. As she ran to meet him, a die.
0: You're listening to Mostly Folk, mostlyfolk.org, and I'm speaking with David Massingill. And I asked David about one of the songs he wrote called My Name Joe, which seems quite appropriate in relation to some of the things that are going on today.
4: uh, to the point, and it, it, every year I sing it. It just is like uh, sometimes you hear a, a Phil Oaks song, and those uh, those songs still have poignance today. They have absolutely. Real, and so I, I I feel like I I, I approach that with uh, my name Joe because it seems to have a a real uh,
7: uh, message still.
1: Joe threw another tantrum He could not be understood He cries like baby Samson His English is not good Oh, his English is not good Joe's boss of the kitchen But on the outside he knows The low man on the totem Is wearing giveaway clothes Wearing giveaway the clues Joe he fights the good fight he wears a white uniform the waiters are all artists out oh, chasing unicorns oh chasing unicorns Joe works 14 hours after tennis starts to booze he gets very sentimental he sees the Buddha blue to blue Oh, he sings the Buddha blues. My name's Joe, my name's Joe. There is a king in Thailand. And he plays the jazz drums. He
5: has a fine and healthy son. Oh, no, I'm not the one.
1: On the wall by the time clock Joe is beaming from a photograph Someone drew across his face The waiters began to laugh Oh, began to laugh Well, Joe picked up a hatchet And he tenderized the wall When he got through with it Time clock wasn't punching anymore Time clock wasn't punching the waiters ran for cover. The maitre D began to miss. The drunkard in the corner said his lettuce was not Chris. Oh, his lettuce was not Chris. Then they only called immigration. They said, Here's someone you should know. He's an ego alien, and I think his name is Joe. Oh, I know his name is Joe My name's Joe My name's Joe There is a king in Thailand And he plays the jazz drums He has a fine and healthy son Oh, no, I'm not the one the man from immigration he said I got a job to do easy questions easy answers just point me to the kitchen crew point me to the kitchen crew he has Leroy from Harlem he has Cisco from Mexico he has a white trash from Tennessee they all said my name Joe my name Joe my name's Joe. The immigration man he sputtered. The kitchen crew they roared. And while they were arguing, Joe slipped out the back door. Joe slipped out the back door. Slipped out the back door. Joe tries to listen to the heartbeat of a whale How it echoes his own heartbeat And the distance he has sailed Oh, the distance he has sailed My name's Joe, my name's Joe There is a king in
5: Thailand
1: and he plays the jazz drums. He has a fine and healthy son. Oh no, I'm not.
4: Maybe more than ten years um when uh, right after I turned fifty i think um and i'm sixty five right now, so it was about fifteen years ago i started I saw a person at a library giving a presentation on how she made books. And it was a storyteller's thing. We were all trying to get work in the libraries. And I went, wow, I've always wanted to make books. And so I just uh, asked her for a, a tutorial sort of thing, and we and we figured out a way to do it. And... Uh, she got me started, and uh, and I just started making these eight-page books, and then got uh, ambitious, wanted to make more, and I could see I could take some of my songs and make little 32-page books. And so I did a whole, I've done a series of about 35 of them. The person that go I ahead. saw doing this, Beatrice Car- Caron, uh, and she, sometimes if you go on the subway, you'll see her uh, silhouettes, um, and she's been done shows in Paris, and uh, she lives here in New York. And she got me started, and introduced me to uh, some people. I did a course with her too, and it just got me uh, a way of telling stories, which was to just do, write, done, do pictures with it. So I felt like a five-year-old. I'd always wanted to do that. Um, I did a, a four-page thing as a child about being a pirate and uh, helping the pirates find gold. I thought I would give it all to my family. That was a nice little book. (laughs) (laughs) I had the little boy on the ship, and there were sharks in the sea, and then they land on the land, and then they dig something, and they come up with treasure. And it was my great ambition to find a treasure for my family. And Mm. that was my very first book. I've thought of that many times. Dave Van Ronk liked these a lot, and he put me on, too, Susie Rotolo, uh, who was an artist that did that. She was uh, well-known as being on the free freewheeling Bob Dylan. photo with Bob Dylan, uh, yeah, his yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. But she was an artist in her own right, and uh, she did delightful things. And I, I got to know her a little bit after I went to her art show, and she had an accordion book there that made me think about making these into longer books and so uh she's she in a way she was as big or sometimes in a way a bigger influence on me than Bob Dylan
7: himself. I like that that's amazing- it's
4: it's very true, and um, I really I, yeah, I just I liked knowing her as a person too. I could see her political stances on things were very knowing and balanced and uh and righteous and I could see how uh, she was a good influence when when Bob started to go out that way. Um yeah. and I could see how he would take her seriously as a as a uh, as a voice for a need for that to be heard. Um wow. but in her own uh things she did these wonderful uh um uh, things books and uh concepts and uh they would be uh very i i she had several showings here in New York before she she did pass on about 5 years ago or so
7: hmm.
4: of um same cancer that got uh, Jack Hardy uh, lung cancer
8: yeah. i think uh
4: so i was really sad about that
8: what a shame now, how do people get a hold of these books if they're interested? in Well,
4: them? if they go on my website, they can uh, just write me, and then I'll say, "Oh, they're you know," and I have a really small price on them, but I have to make something, so I make each book itself. I've got two box sets; um, well, they have six books in the box sets. I make the box itself. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but they're, uh oh. one way to one way I do this work and uh, kill two birds with one stone. There's these television shows I particularly like, and I listen to the television show as I make the books. <laughs> every uh, every every two seconds out of twenty, I might glance up at the at the television. But
7: the rest <laughs> of the time, I'm
4: looking down at my my knees and I'm I'm folding, I'm uh, coloring, I'm doing this, I'm putting the tape on, I'm doing. it. It's a very intricate little process to make these little books. I call them itty bitty. Now,
8: now that we're on this topic, as far as books go, let's talk about. This new project that you, you are just completing. And, uh, also I want to mention a couple of honors that you've recently been, um given. And that is number one, you've just received, uh, an offer from the Southern Folklife Collection, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, to archive your works. That, and uh
4: came out of the blue. I was really pleased. I, I accepted wow. before they
7: could change their mind.
8: That is a, also a place where Dave Van, Dave Van Ronk, Mike Seeger, Bill Morrissey uh, all have their work archived, so that's quite an honor for you. It and, sure is,
7: especially since I was so
4: close with uh, Bill Morrissey. We were... Uh, mm. You know, we exchanged many letters. My my letters to him are in their uh, in their archiveship of his things. So I have really? about ten letters of his to me. So I'll be able to donate those too. Um, and, uh, and and Dame, uh, Dave Van Ronk, who took me under his wing, is there as big yeah and uh also Mike Seeger, I once uh drove a five hour drive just to get the fifty dollars to open for him at a show in mm-hmm. upstate new york and uh I really admired him every time I saw him. I was just uh, amazed at his facility and his every style of every style of uh, folk type song he captured beautifully and was in command of i was
0: really and
4: to be in the same place as those three, it just means, and I know there's many other artists that are like uh, way up there, but those three in particular it it, it does It's a, just, you know, it just does my heart good to be, to mm. be among them.
8: And of them. course it was Dave Van Rock who gave us the quote that David takes the dull out of dulcimer and that's absolutely true when you play the dulcimer it almost makes one want to run out and get a dulcimer it's absolutely beautiful
7: I thank you. It's my own sort of style. It's a,
4: just a picking and strumming style, and I did it because I wanted to. I developed it because I wanted to uh, string the dulcimer up and walk around with it in the in the woods,
7: and um, I didn't want to sit
4: there. I got tired of uh, sitting there uh, flapping at it with a, a, a flat pick or a thin yeah. long flat pick, and I just got. Bored with it. After doing that for two, three months, I was sort of bored with it. Now I wasn't improving, and I've heard many people plant pick the dulcimer beautifully in a very artful way, and there's, uh, you know, that's absolutely a, a legitimate way to play it. But I, I wanted to walk around. I, I felt that I couldn't do it uh, walking walk around in the woods, but I could with finger picks. Could still control that into the dulcimer, and mm. I started using my thumbnail as a sort of a noter. The noter is a wooden stick that used to. Go up and down the melody string, the string that was closest to you, and the other strings would be your drone. So it was a very simple sort of song, you could, uh, instrument to play right away, but you can, to play all the different melodies and styles, and uh, uh, mo- there's all these different modes, six major modes, and then you can reverse the strings and make another six, and you can do all sorts of different things. But to play a melody, sometimes you have to re. Uh, uh, rehitch it up so it goes from, um, uh, DAD or DEA or, uh, something, you know, all these different things that you do it to. You get this sort of tone. Um, and, uh, I got, um, I, I particularly one day, I reversed the, me, the mixolydian tuning. I mic, I reversed the middle and the melody string pitch. And all of a sudden, I discovered this great tuning that I could sing with my low voice. And it just seemed to be perfect. And that was the first song I wrote in this reverse mixolydian tuning was On the Road to Fairfax County. Wow. And I learned, you know, going up and down the scale and all the different shades that I could do. I could do a bar chord at one point. Just one place was beautiful with a bar chord, and so I was just going up and down, experimenting, uh, finding this new tuning that I was going. Hey, I can sing to this. It's not that high. That's good. And I was finding these beautiful harmonies on the as I would do a, as I would do a strum of the three pitches on the three strings. And I was just going up and down the scale, and I discovered the opening the melody of Fairfax County.
1: the highway
3: boat. he wanted all my money my heart
1: beat like a drum
5: I gave
3: him all my money and sweet he smiled at me Too
1: pity. Gallantly, he promised oh, to meet me that night beneath the tree. We'd flee to some
3: far island, there we would be wed and freely. We would live there with no
1: pride
8: Back this. this is yeah. a project, you've been working on this for at least 10 years, yeah. and the name of it is Simone and Zelda's Fairy Apple Tree Adventure. It's a four-CD collection of both spoken and sung tracks, and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I myself have to be honest, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but having listened to parts of it, It just is inspiring, and I I can't wait to take a trip and put it in my car and listen to as much as I can. Talk about it, David. It's perfect for
4: that. It's really, I I talked to Mark Moss of Sing Out, and he said, this sounds like an audio book. And I said, yeah, I guess it is. I was trying to see what they do at Sing Out for this sort of thing, because it is really a Mm -hmm. mix of uh, story and song. As far as time goes, there's more story than there is song. There are 23 songs that complement and finish 23 chapters. And so I read a chapter, and then a song comes up that sort of relates to what I've just read and sort of completes that chapter. And then I read a chapter, and then I do another song. And so it goes through for with 23 um, chapters, and it, it concerns something that happened. So I was able to use things right out of my life and people right out of my life and also just totally made-up fantasy things, too, mm-hmm. because it concerns an apple tree that was cut down when I was uh, ten or. 11 and it was the it was on the property that had been just newly bought by someone. We kids used to use this property and this particular tree as a meeting place and we loved this apple tree. It was leaning over a hill a little bit. You could run up the side of that big trunk up to the first outcrop of, of, uh, of uh, other trunk uh, that went out and so it was just the biggest apple tree I've ever seen. It was very shady. The maple trees were surrounding it so it it, it was just amazing and we each had our favorite branch boys and girls would sit there and talk about the world we wouldn't talk about boy things or girl things we talk about every day things and somehow we were um we were transported in in our uh and our sort of uh, knowingness of the world uh, by being in that tree. And we each respected uh, the other's favorite branch. That's, you know, that's my branch that I like to sit on. Another kid had another branch. And it's mm-hmm. I loved it that boys and girls were equal in that tree, too, that like they didn't sit separate at school. Like in school lunches, everybody would be separate, the boys or the boys. Same thing at recess when you're playing games. Uh, and in this instance, it was we were all together. And so I have been haunted by this tree that was cut down because the new property owners thought they might be liable if somebody fell out of the tree. And so in real life, they cut down the tree. And no, I've been uh, kicking myself that I never actually went up to the door with a, with one of the apples and cut it up into nice slices and offered him a slice of this apple that was a sample of the tree that he was about to cut down. I might have been able to make a difference, but so, as so many times, the regret is, uh, uh, is just a constant part of our lives, and that's one of my regrets. But I decided that maybe I could go back in my mind. And uh, save that apple tree, and so that's what I did. I thought the best way to do it was to put some fairies in that tree. That would be their their home.
2: Simone and Zelda's Fairy Apple Tree Adventure, Part One: The Nose Blows as the Worm Turns, Chapter One. It was a beloved tree and secretly shared by all the kids of the neighborhood with the tree fairies and their pixie and hobgoblin kin. Of course, the fairies had been there many, many years, ever since the tree's birth. It was an apple tree that was said to have been planted by Johnny Appleseed himself on one of his many trips to the wilderness. Some say the ghost of Johnny Appleseed could still be found in a cave not too distant, but no human had ever found the entrance the fairies had purposely planted thorn bushes to hide it away from prying eyes. Just across the creek, they planted blackberries and honeysuckle to lull the curious away. Until they deem it proper, fairies remain invisible to all humans, even the somewhat more innocent children that had shared their tree all their young lives. But soon the time would come when they revealed and allied themselves with these selfsame children. The truth was they had grown very fond of each and every child, for they had purposely cast a magic spell on the apple tree. It was an enchanted apple tree, and any child who climbed into its branches would feel the impulse of empathy for all living things. So the odd feelings of separateness that often charged the human soul were lifted away like a helium balloon let go on a bright summer's day. Look at it go, the soul would say, and suddenly there were no barriers to human understanding. No boys and girls sitting separately at school lunch or on the playground at recess, No culture divides, no race divides, just the curiosity remained. The fairies so enjoyed the conversations they overheard by the children, and since the apple tree was enchanted, there was no meanness while sitting there on their chosen branches. Each child had found a favorite branch to sit upon, and once chosen, no one thought to poach another's branch. Since the tree was on a hill incline and bent over a bit, it was easy to climb. You could get a running start and literally run up the trunk to the first large branching out of the tree. The green apples were delicious, sweet, and tart. And no matter how many apples devoured, there always seemed to be the same full amount on the branches the very next day. The very best in children's natures came out while in the tree, and the fairies were often tempted to reveal themselves just to say, Hello, you goofy, funny, sweet human child. Would you like to borrow my wings and go flying in the clouds? But until today, they had not fallen to temptation. For as their history showed, once a fairy is revealed to a human, all sorts of trouble ensues. Today was different, for they overheard a most distressing bit of information. Fairies took great care to choose trees for their homes, which were in the wilderness, and they could safely be wild and free. But today, the human sisters Simone and Zelda carried the news that someone had bought all the land for miles around and that the apple tree was right in the middle of it all. Their parents had warned them that they may not be allowed to play in the tree as they had before. No one seemed to know much about this man or what his plans for the property might be. The fairies decided a great meeting and Jamboree must be called to discuss the matter and plan a strategy.
1: Come, all come, you fairies in the near and far. Where'er you are, come to our fairy gathering To sing and dance and then perchance To dream sweet dreams Quick, be quick Jump over hill and dale and candlestick. Tick, tick, don't be a draggle tail. Set sail, the wind will be your friend, Ollie, Ollie, and free. Sing, come, sing. And bring your flutes and boom cahoots undoze your fiddle bows Your rum-tum drums, sweet strums Adorn the haunting of the horn You unicorn Dance, come dance the Pixie Prance The Boogie Reel The Elves Card wheel, The brownie Summer Salt They Leap They Vault They Ballyhoo Into The Baby Blue In Coming Our and kin, the hobgoblin, the gnome, come home, come day and night, you water sprite, riding a swan, you leprechaun, come too.
4: Of the thing, the, the the kids aren't even aware of the fairies. The fairies are of course aware of them, and and then in the second half, the children, because of the threat to the tree, the fairies decide to make them. They do a spell, and the children are turned into changelings, which are half fairy, half uh, human. Uh, but in my mythos, you can only be a changeling for a fortnight. That's fourteen days. Uh, and after that, you have to, because your soul can't bear the pressure of being one half this and one half that, and after 14 days, you have to make your choice. You either become a full fairy or go back to being a full human. Uh, and so that's a big thing that happens in the development of this song. Uh, I mean, this story. Um, also, the big uh, villain is, of course, the man who buys the property and decides to cut down the tree. And he physically resembles uh, resembles somebody that my dad. He said they used to call him Old Buckethead because uh, he had this big, <laughs> huge square head. So uh, I loved that name. So I, and so I actually based the the villain in this uh, on the actual neighbor, but not the actual neighbor that with the big head. Uh, that was a pretty <laughs> good guy, good friend of my dad. But I always liked that Buckethead. You know, these <laughs> To call him Old Buckethead. Um, so, uh, so I have this whole thing that happens, but it takes four and a half hours, and it's wow. uh, it's it's sweet. It, it surprised the heck out of me. I had for ten over ten years, I was writing these songs. I wrote forty or fifty, I suppose, and then I uh, cut it down to twenty-three to tell this story. I had done an earlier sort of audio book about a witch. Um, Earlier it had been about a 70-minute thing with nine songs. Uh, And that sort of triggered this particular thing because I wanted to do a second one with some of the same uh, uh, children in it. And so um, that's what... uh, I had had a little experience writing some prose with a story, a simple story. This story became much more uh complicated as far as the prose goes i was able to really just i don't write down to this is not a children's book this is this is a book you it's a storytelling book that's what it is
7: mm-hmm. and it tells
4: this story and you like to hear i hope you like to uh, to hear the the voice telling the story uh yeah. it might be um it, that's what I'm hoping uh, to get it out there Um, I've done some storytelling festivals in this I hope to get that uh, going too
1: I smell green apple pie just stay the windowsill testing my free will I love green apple pie I come back every day green apple pie buffet this poor hungry train I rub Aladdin's lamp And make my getaway The lady of the windowsill Who bakes the pies Her name is Mrs. Dingley And she takes first prize She never seems to mind My act of thievery The way she wears an apron Is a sight to see For each pie I'm taking I return The pie tin So she'll know I'm square Or round That I'm not a bear Or a fox Just a man men Then she caught me Standing there Pie in hand Guilty stare She said, would you like to try more than green apple pie I said My, my The lady of the windowsill who bakes the pies Her name is Mrs. Dingley and she takes first prize She never seems to mind my act of fevery The way she wears an apron appeals to me Green apple pie. Just a hobo, am I? I almost forgot I'm no Lancelot, but I am a king when I misses Dingley's song.
4: a kid, the Little Rascals was a huge positive influence on me. Uh, politically, uh, I saw them uh, black and white kids playing together. It's, I just went, gosh, that, that's not the way our school is. We, we're missing out. And here's the thing: they made in the twenties, they made silent ones, they made, the, and they were like already ahead of the ahead of the game. Uh, and when I saw it in the '60s, I was going, shoot, yeah, I was very positive about the, the coming you know, civil rights thing, because I just thought we were missing out. Um, Those kids playing together seemed like they had a lot of fun together. And so The Little Rascals was, in a way, a political uh, plus to me. Uh, Number one, every kid likes games. Every kid wants to have fun. And it just seemed like it was fun. Um, And so um, it wasn't hard for me to... um, to sort of change my racial attitudes, that gradual thing to happen. The other thing, when I made this thing, I thought, in making the music, let me just, I think I should speak to this. I wrote these songs specifically, you know, to tell this story, to be little things at the ends of little chapters. And so they're not, a lot of my uh, more well-known things are like ballads might take four to five minutes or tells an intricate story and so forth. Some of these are not. They're not uh, story story songs they uh, they're about being in the Boy Genius Club, and so it's a congratulation letter and so it has a certain conceit that i I left the conceit just like when I told you I, I study architecture at the University of North Carolina. That's what I did. I saw the ground, I saw a way to write these songs, and the songs were not these uh, what I was uh, known more for, but it was this other style that I was happy to do, and so I was able to have the the, the uh, also the girl. The uh the girl detective agency song, the song about um Skippery Shim as the hobgoblin. I have the Hobgoblin's miscue. And that is a song I love to do because I stole an idea from Bob Dylan. Um, uh, Dave Van Ronck used to tell a story about watching Bob and he, just how he, hilarious he was with an audience, uh, especially one time he remembered he was doing this song and he had a, a harmonica that would honk or do a riff at a certain particular point, but he always evaded playing it on the beat, and sometimes would wait several beats, so the audience wouldn't know when he was going to do that particular honk <laughs> on the thing. And so it became something that was like, and it, it, they always guessed wrong, and so it became more hilarious all the way through.
7: <laughs> and I just
4: love that story. And when I was writing the Hobgoblins, uh, 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 the Hobgoblins, um, uh, what did I call it? Uh, the Hob um, um, um Yeah, I have him do his Hobgoblin little note, which is and that's how a hobgoblin, cause he's <laughs> mad that the fairies always get the good press and he doesn't. So the whole song is sort of sour grapes and he's going, how come they get all the press? And we hobgoblins are blamed for all this stuff and so forth. So, and his little, little tag is me. And I do it different every, and I stole
7: that. I hope
4: <laughs> and I made it my own. That's why I, I always admired the way Bob Dylan stole, because he would always make it yeah. his own. He did it the yeah. same way Picasso stole. Uh, Matisse mm-hmm. wrote a letter to his son saying, well, Picasso's over here today. I can see he's stealing all this stuff. Um, uh, the, the way to steal is to do it just right there and make it your own. So I've never like been one that would like uh, be somebody that would... Um, Uh, Condemn somebody from borrowing a little melody here, a little melody there.
5: Pop
1: goblins are misunderstood. Most folks think they're up to no good. It's always fairies, it's the good press. Hobgoblins, they blame for every mess Hobba, 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 gobba, gobba, hobba, gobba, goblin Hobba, 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 gobba, 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 Stay up late at night They re Your britches too tight Ooh Sometimes they're funny Sometimes they're bad Best to avoid them When they get mad Hob, 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 gobb, 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 gobblin gobblin. Hobgoblins adore to play tricks Bend over and you'll get their kicks Best treat them kindly, be courteous. Hobgoblins don't like it when you cuss. Haba 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 gob, gaba haba i goblins of the brownie tribe Sometimes they incline to imbibe Love a good party, especially the beer If you don't have it they disappear. Haba, 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 ha haba, 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 haba,
7: In fact, all through
4: this very thing, I use little things. I have a show and tell day, and I used a, a, an essay my dad wrote um, verbatim about uh, how bad it is to pick flowers in the in, in the wild in the wilderness because it deprives the birds and the bees of their views of a flower. Um, oh, my goodness. And it's, it's a real... Ama- he wrote it when he was 11 years old. It's quite amazing. I, I, and so one of the fellas, uh, Matthew Ballew, plays my dad uh, as, the, as the class iconoclast. And, of course, I wanted to make a, a school song, so I made Johnny Appleseed, since that was an apple. I thought to make him... Um, make it a a school song. And so I had the great pleasure of writing this school song, something that kids would like to, that they would sing every day when they came to school.
1: His name was Johnny Appleseed. He was a friend to all in need. He wore a mush pot for a hat and would not even kill a rat. Some thought he was so very odd, the way he spread the word of God, a God that made room for us all matter how big or how small He had no need for gun or knife In heaven he would find a wife He traveled barefoot in the wild And spoke the language of a child To the Iroquois and Cherokees The man who planted apple trees Was touched by the great spirit sky And by his works would never die
4: I'd have never written it if Lisi Tribble, my partner for the last 40 years, hadn't told me many times the story of how she was a uh, one of those smart students. They do exchange programs with other countries in her junior year. She was sent to the Philippines. And all these smart uh, children were in Los Angeles ready to go to their country, uh, ready to fly out, and they were in Hollywood. And all these girls, these, these 30, 12, 15-year-old girls, were wanting to call up Hollywood stars. So they wanted to call up you know, uh, uh, whoever was the big star at the moment, and uh, Cary Grant, etc. And Lisey, her star was Dennis Day, because he oh my had the Dennis he was on the Jack Benny show of course in a few movies mm-hmm. most best known for for his singing he had done many big big seller beautiful singer Irish singer yeah. yeah. um, yeah. and he was a wonder on the Jack Benny show just he always stole the, stole the show whenever he had a scene uh, mm-hmm. but he had done a, a cartoon for Disney about Johnny Appleseed and sung all the songs Lisey had the record and had played it as a child over and over and over she sang all the songs so all these girls are calling up uh, the big Hollywood stars, and none of them are getting the stars. It's all, you know, none of them can get through. Lise, uh calls up Dennis Day. He answers um. the phone. She says, I'm with the JCC, whatever exchange program we're all about to leave, and we're all calling our favorite movie star, and you're
8: <laughs> mine.
4: Now put yourself in his <laughs> shoes. Here's this wonderful, you know, sweet girl telling him she he is her favorite, and he said, "Why? Thank you so much." And they had a nice conversation. She was oh, the honey. only she was the only one that got through, and I've enjoyed that story so much <laughs> that it stayed in the back of my mind. I was just so proud that she would like like somebody like that as her favorite star, rather than the usual uh, more obvious uh,
7: stars. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just
4: and it's. Stayed in my mind all this time, and when I was in the process of writing these uh, songs and this story, it occurred to me that, well well of course it's an apple tree and there's going to be a school they're going to be Johnny Appleseed uh, elementary school and shouldn't there be a school song and that's how I was able to do that all those things in my mind pulled me to that one moment where I said I think I'll write this song and I came up with that first line the man who planted uh, uh, the man who planted apple trees was being uh, was one of the lines but the line that I started with was uh, his name was Johnny Appleseed Mm. and I was able able to get a melody just from that. Uh, He was a friend all in need. And so from then on it was call and response and I I made up that four line melody and decided uh, to keep it. And um, that was, so anyway, that's my method. I am an architect at writing songs. Mm
1: -hmm. When the sun goes down Spider weaves a gown Half moon on the rise Magic lantern eyes In the shadow sight Of the dead of night When it's witching time As the fan gather one
0: Once again, I want to thank David Massingill for joining me today and being part of this program. Remember, for those in the New York area, Andes, New York, October 8th at 6 p.m., David will be performing at the Willow Dray Farm. You can check it out on Google and also on Facebook and come to the concert. I'll be there, David will be there, and you're going to definitely enjoy it. I spoke to David for such a long time, and I know this program has gone over what it normally is, but I probably could have made two two two-hour programs from the conversation we had. David is quite an interesting guy, and it certainly was a pleasure having him on the program today. Also, I want to once again remind you that the entire playlist for this program today will be available at MostlyFolk.org. Just check out the David Massingill episode. It should be episode 216, if my calculations are correct. If not, just look for David and look under the episode info and you'll see the entire playlist. Well, I want to thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm Audrey Martello and I do hope you'll join me for the next episode of Mostly Folk. Happy trails
5: to you Until we meet again Happy trails Keep smiling until then Who cares
7: about the clouds
6: when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails